Welcome to This Week Next Week. I'm Brian Weezer. And I'm Kate Scott Dawkins. And we are Group M. And, uh, well, what can I say? It's been a busy, busy week. But, I mean, Kate, have you had time to do anything other than do work this week? Uh, Not too much. Not too much. I did. We wrapped up the Australian Open uh, last week. That was great. Um, which means I can now cancel my ESPN Plus subscription and transition over to Peacock for the uh, for the Olympics. Cancel subscriptions? People do that? <laughs> my my generation probably does at least. Well, I mean, it's a really interesting topic uh, that I, I think a lot of people have been concerned about. There's a good piece in uh, the, the journal using data from Antenna, which is a pretty interesting source on this using, I guess, credit card data. Um, but I mean, I guess, first of all, was it easy to cancel uh, your ESPN Plus subscription? It was pretty easy, I have to say. I'm better than uh, past attempts at canceling old school, say, cable companies, um, where there were multiple attempts to try and convince you otherwise. Um, it was pretty easy, especially if they're managed all in a central platform. Um, I did have a look at the antenna data. It's really interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, here, here's the thing. I, I, I think that in, the, in a place like the U.S., I mean, you got to expect some churn, but as the products, well, tell me what you think of this. As the product suites evolve, as a Disney starts to realize maybe we need to put the ESPN Plus content and the Hulu content all in one product, give it one name, uh, would you be would you been less likely to unsubscribe? Yeah, I did not unsubscribe from my Disney Plus subscription. So I think that's um, that's probably a way that those folks will move in future. I mean, the premium subscription services, as you want to to call them, um, I think are showing lower churn rates than, say, the specialty uh, streaming platforms that you might tune into um, once in a while. And I think that's also the question around CNN Plus launching, is it just going to be on the election years that that gets the biggest sort of subscription rates and then people trail off um, and the sports uh, sports properties, similar question. Absolutely. Well, I know we uh, actually just this week uh, upped a subscription that I had with Paramount Plus to include Showtime to watch the we need to talk about Cosby. Uh, and, you know, it's single program. Am I going to keep it? Well, I paid for the year just because it was not inexpensive or was a reasonably priced approach. But I don't know. I mean, it does feel like there really need to be fewer apps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, uh, and well, unless you have the new style of aggregator, right? So um, I don't know how much we're going into our own uh, personal habits, but I did get a new Sony TV that came with the Google TV platform and everything is all in one place, which is a nice uh, change from previous smart TV experiences where you really did have to exit one app and go into another one. Um, so I think it's possible. Will you be able to access Peacock on it? Yes, of course. Well, this has been a problem that at least we're starting to see some uh, planning around where you know, you get a TV and, I mean, to get HBO Max, you needed to use a different device to access HBO Max on, say, an LG TV set when it came out. And I, at least that's been solved now. So, yeah. So watching that is definitely um, we'll be interested to see if they come out with data around. Um, looks like there was a bump for the Summer Olympics on Peacock. I'll be curious to see 
I would assume a lower bump given it's Winter Olympics, but um, hopefully still something there in terms of people tuning in who are uh, spurred on by you know wanting to watch their their hometown home nation heroes in the Olympics. Absolutely. Are there, by the way, are there any sports you're particularly interested in? I mean, as an archer, like there is no winter archery, is there? Uh, there, they did ski arch as an exhibition one year. So it's like biathlon, but with archery mm. instead of uh, rifles. I do watch the biathlon um, and cross country skiing events, definitely. Um, I'd say those kind of endurance ones are, are a general favorite of the winter winter games. Absolutely. Well, without uh, much hockey um, from NHLers, I'm probably not likely to see much myself. All right. Um, what else? What kept you busy this week? Well, it's been incredibly busy from uh, an advertising perspective. Uh, you know, Google and Facebook being so big and Amazon being so big is a, is a mixed blessing in the sense of there's a lot of work to do in a very short period of time when they come out. On the other hand, three companies and we're half the industry. It's just done. Like it's it's actually kind of convenient. You can talk about what the industry trends are by looking at three companies. So you're gonna have your feet kicked up on the uh, coffee table this weekend, then? Oh yeah, your work is done. Lies. I'm done. I'm done. Half done at least. No, um, I I think that certainly um, each of those companies reported their results for the fourth quarter, and uh, as uh, you, you may have heard, Facebook had a bit of an impact on the stock market. Little, little one, just a blip, right? Yeah, I mean, it is really remarkable how much the stock fell on this. And I mean, there's so many different directions we can go on this. Um, let's just start to count. Um, first of all, uh, you know, I feel validated. I like to feel that validated. Do you like to feel validated? Always. <laughs> yeah. And so when you put out a view, and I know there's an element of like to a, to a hammer, everything's a nail. And so, of course, I'm going to try to find the, the way in which I was correct in my analysis of the data. I, I, I know that. But but still, I feel like I was correct because what we said uh, with the changes that Apple is making to data availability, it would not impact the overall growth rate of the industry. We said that, right? Yep. I, I heard you say it many times. Right. And we've said that share may shift between different media owners, but the overall growth rate won't be impacted. Budgets are not driven at a meet, at a, an industry level by changing availability of data. And so what did we get? Now we can say with a lot of certainty that the industry probably grew around 28% on a two-year basis, meaning the two-year average growth rate between the fourth quarter of 2021 and the fourth quarter of 2019 was about 28%. If we look at the third quarter growth rate, it was about 28%. And if we look at the first quarter, it was about 28%. And as it turns out, the second quarter was about the same. In other words, if you look at just the five biggest sellers of digital advertising, which is to say Google, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, and then actually Snap now, at least the five biggest sellers outside of China, mm -hmm. the growth rate has been remarkably consistent. We might add some extra money from Apple. We don't know how big they are. Yeah. And then, of course, there's and actually you, you've gone into Apple. Any guesses as to how much advertising they have? Yeah, I mean, two things there. I do for our listeners, what we're what we're saying you're doing there is basically stripping out some of the volatility of 2020, right? And that's what we're doing when we're looking at rates between 2019 and 2021, primarily, right? Exactly. And yeah. but we don't know how much money 
Apple has grown like their advertising business by over that time, right? But it's in the single digit billions probably of growth. Yeah. It's it's all in their service. They have one giant bucket called services, and in that they include their advertising revenue along with their app commissions, along with right. financial services. It's any number of things. And so it's um and they they definitely don't disclose how much each individual piece is of that pie. They will say things like, um, you know, increases were primarily due to right. advertising and some of these other things. So it is very difficult to guess um but services definitely grew so but it's probably a, it's a it's the few of an industry those five players had about 375 billion dollars in advertising last year yeah if apple grew a few billion dollars that's probably about right same with tiktok yep. right tiktok absolutely grew a lot last year but only like in the single digit billions probably and so in context of you know facebook would have had 115 billion or so in advertising revenue last year and TikTok outside of China is probably a single-digit billion. And, and and you wonder what this reminded me about when when we heard on the Facebook earnings calls the the the, the constant references to TikTok. Do you want to know what I was reminded of? Yeah, go on. What was it? Do do you remember Irwin Mainway? Oh my gosh, was that an old SNL skit? Oh yeah, bag o glass. <laughs> do, do we? <laughs> capacity to put up like youtube links or something on this podcast because i, I think we, we got a link to this skip yeah version. yeah we'll we'll uh, we'll link to it in the notes all right so this the bag of glass skit for those unfamiliar with it it basically features uh you know jane Curtin interviewing dan Aykroyd and jane Curtin playing the straight person uh uh consumer safety segment talking about how uh interviewing the the ceo of a company that sells a bunch of kids toys that are frankly going to kill you there's johnny switchblade there's uh you know the, the whole bag of glass line you know including um bag of arsenic bag of you know bag of sulfuric acid bag of vipers you didn't have uh, johnny switchblade as a child <laughs> i did not i wish and and so as she's going through this uh series of problems and and dan Aykroyd's character of erwin mainway is constantly defending up you know but uh, bag of glass it's just a typical kids toy hey we put it we put a warning label says a kid be safe you know um i can't help but be reminded of facebook first of all in terms of you know you always find the justification and you always say well hey if the kid hurts himself it's maybe his fault um <laughs> And so it was an interesting thing. But the thing that made me think about uh, TikTok was where at the very end of the skit, he's basically showing how, well, other toys are dangerous too. Why look at that ball, that ball, oh my God, you know, and, and, and so that was TikTok to me. It's not that it's not a thing. It's not that it's not possible, but Facebook legitimately is a utility. TikTok is a distraction. Yeah, our our viewers are missing out on uh, the great animations that are happening on the other side of the studio here as well. Well, they can watch the video and decide for themselves. But uh, so anywho, um, as we play towards next year, just just, you know, if we're, we're putting a stake in the ground, this this hammer is ready to hit the nail for next year. You know, then when Facebook says three to 11 percent growth for the year ahead uh, or sorry, for the first quarter. And of course, this is kind of what spooked investors. You know, let's assume this is a conservative number. So analyst consensus estimate on the first quarter for revenue for Facebook was about 15% prior to the earnings. The 11%, let's assume they just kind of beat that, get close to 15. 
And let's assume that it's not a $10 billion impact from Apple, but it's probably more like a $5 billion impact or something like that. And let's assume they grow at a 10 to 15% rate next year. Well, guess do you know what this year, next year's growth rate is for digital advertising outside of China? Well, you're putting me on the spot there. Oh, that's okay. I'll tell you, 15%. Yeah, roughly even, because they make up so much. I mean, we've talked before about uh, companies tending to pat themselves on the back when they have a really good quarter and blame others when they have a less than stellar quarter. Um, And, you know, they they lost users, right? I mean, the, the user numbers were lower and they can't blame that on Apple, surely. <laughs> well, although, do we really know that when 16% of their users are, according to their own filings, non-existent, do we really know that they lost users? Well, that's a good point. And they are they are one that uh, does report on the number of fake accounts and um, fake users, at least as much as they can determine it. Exactly. And so it's one of those things where, I, I you know, as an analyst, uh, before coming to Group M, I paid very little attention to the number of users. Last I checked, I don't believe that there's a single marketer who says, oh, they lost a million users. They only have 198 million plus or minus 20 million, minus 20 million. Um, and therefore, I'm going to cut my budget. Um, at the end of the day, that's not the factor. I mean, I think it's sentimental. It contributes to a perception. But at the end of the day, there is, other than Google's properties, there's nothing else that has comparable reach to Facebook's properties. So, I don't know. Call me skeptical that that's the driver. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what else have you been looking at the past week? Uh, well, there was also big news in gaming again. It has been a very busy month. Um, so, I mean, Microsoft proposed their acquisition of Activision Blizzard. That's going to have to go through all the regulatory um, hurdles. Uh, take two, obviously, the beginning of the month, uh, putting out their notice to acquire Zynga. And now Sony has announced uh, their acquisition of Bungie. And I think it's just interesting that there are several different motivations behind these. It's not all in terms of the same um, the same rationale. I'm as as you, you may remember, I'm not a gamer other than uh, The Sims, circa 1991. Um, so, what is Bungie? Ah, uh, so Bungie is the maker of Destiny. They were the original maker of Halo, um, which now sits under. Microsoft, I'm sure our, our listeners will tell me if I've gotten that wrong. Um, but yeah, they are a, a content studio making major games. Um, Destiny, in terms of its like worlds and, and immersive quality, I think has been compared by some to something like a, a Fortnite in terms of the ability for that to help Sony in um, those worlds and, and transitioning IP beyond into other areas of Sony. So movies or comics or other places where they have potential synergies to to grow that franchise. Did they talk about the metaverse at all in the release? <laughs> Wasn't that much of a mention. I mean, I think in the short term, there are definite opportunities around uh, in-game services and in-game purchases, which will be a much more immediate um, you know, impact. So, so, so in other words, they talked about the metaverse as much as Facebook slash Meta talked about the metaverse on their earnings call, which is to say they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, so much hype over the last six months, but maybe now people are starting to sort of internalize that it's going to be a while before this is on everyone's, um, I guess, glasses and uh, consoles and whatever else. 
I don't know. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I think, you know, Meta really catalyzed a conversation around something that there was work going on around it with their the October earnings call. Saying nothing, essentially, about it on this call. Here's a question for you. Do you think that the strategy is to have the proverbial big bath now of a basically warn that you're going to have a terrible quarter so that you can they can talk up metaverse related things next week or next quarter? Um, it, you know, based on some internal reporting that or reporting the New York Times did, it suggests that they they really legitimately are, you know, trying to pivot the boat, the battleship, if you will, towards all things metaverse. And so, OK, there's reason to believe that's credible. But do you think that the goal is to come out with a lot of news in the, you know, as this year progresses? And that's really the thinking at, at Facebook Meta? Um, I mean, you've spent a lot of years covering them. So I'm you know, interested that that's an area that or an avenue that you're thinking about. Um, but yep, company, companies pivot. So it'll be interesting to see how they like if they're able to pull that off in the same way that they pivoted to mobile yeah. so many years ago. Um, Where do you think Sony will go with this then? Like, okay, so they're buying. Well, what and you, you alluded to this earlier, like there's some differences in strategy that you're seeing. Exactly. So speaking of mobile, I mean, that was one of the uh, rationales for Take-Two's acquisition of Zynga. Um, I mean, last filings for Take-Two were Q3 2021. They haven't released Q4 yet. And mobile is only 13% of revenue. Um, so the Zynga acquisition there makes a lot of sense. I mean, Zynga's 97% um, in terms of mobile revenue in the last filing. And so together, if I'm doing my math right, that would take take two's mobile share to just over 50, right? Which is a bit more in line with where people are, are playing games or usage numbers. Um, you know, EA hasn't been in the news this month with any major acquisitions, but if people remember, they had major acquisitions last year with uh, Glue Mobile, Metalhead, Codemasters, and Playdemic. Um, and similarly, before those acquisitions, their mobile revenue was also about 13%. So I think we're seeing some of this in terms of making sure that they're able to offer gaming experiences on a, a wider array of platforms than just console or PC. Why? So it, it, let's take it back a step. If we agree that in-game advertising and game-related advertising is a relatively small thing, mm -hmm. marketers care an awful lot about video games, gaming in general. I'm curious about your take, but why does gaming or why should gaming matter to marketers? Yeah, I'm, I'm going back in my head to the, um, the buzz around after Reed Hastings or Netflix commented on the fact that Fortnite was their competitor rather than other sort of professional video content, other streaming services. And I think there is a an interest in following consumers, right? And when there's so much talk about where consumers are spending time or the kinds of um, consumer experiences that make headlines like a concert in a video game or something along those lines that it inspires imaginations and, and people want to maybe have their brands associated with that or don't want to miss the boat. I think there were also people that sort of missed the transition to 
digital initially or missed the transition to mobile mm. originally. And so I think in in the back of some people's minds, maybe there's also a little bit of this, I don't want to miss out. I need to understand what's going on. And, you know, maybe I want to be not the last one into the field if it makes sense for my brand in those environments. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, you know, but I, I have to say one thing that always occurs to me when I think about gaming is, uh, you know, I, I'll look at data from, uh, you know, government statistical entities where they'll provide, you know, uh, it might be diary debased, but it's, you know, how how people spend time. And from a, a government regulators or government uh, bureaucracy's perspective, if they're trying to understand it in, in these surveys, they're indifferent commercially speaking, right? And so what's included in terms of how consumers spend time if they fill out these broad diaries, it's like uh, playing video games, watching TV, sleeping, reading books. Apparently people do that. Uh, things like going camping or leisure, other activity or other things. What's really interesting, though, is that there's a lot of focus on gaming, I think, because there can be data around it. You can't track someone's book reading. And so Mm. knowing that, like, sure, there might be commercial opportunities in, uh, I don't know, imagine if uh, there's like an ad-supported version of The Grapes of Wrath. Like, you know, you could have like a page with like, you know, buy some wine or you know. Well, but that exists on Kindle now. They have lock screen ads on Kindle. Presumably, there are connected ebooks, whereas that develops, you could track people's reading. Um, See, I, I don't read much, so, you know. You don't read much. No, but <laughs> obviously, you also haven't been playing Wordle because the amount of time people have dedicated to figuring out the best starting words and playing this game, along with other, you know, mobile yeah, Wordle, apps. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm slow, to, slow to that game. <laughs> I've been playing Absurdle, which is an adversarial version. So it's using AI. It changes the word every time you enter your guess, which means you're always chasing it down. Well, you are the language maven, so this is on brand. It's true. All right. Um, what else this week should we talk well, about, Brian? You know, maybe Spotify is worth bringing up for for a, a few reasons um first of all they did report earnings right and uh and you know we do track them as you know growing advertising business they um you know had a decent fourth quarter it looks like they grew uh globally about 40 percent. so you know 1.2 billion dollars uh sorry euros rather in uh in global advertising so you know they're a decent sized player and in, in audio certainly a leader but uh you know they, they are still dealing with some of the controversy that um you know that's come up around neil young and 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 joe rogan and all of that and i have to say you know we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week but do you know about my experiences with neil young i don't but i'm i'm guessing you're going to tell us right now well yeah i mean i've never met the man but um but certainly as a as a teenager i i my fondest memory of neil young was uh as a 17 year old, uh, circa 1991, on the Rag Glory tour, he was coming to Vancouver. Oh, yeah. With Sonic Youth, even better, opening on the Goo tour. And I, I, I didn't have money to buy tickets. So I was able to call a local radio station. And uh, it was a Sing Like Neil competition. <laughs> okay. Yep. And uh, you know where that went. And I won. <laughs> well you were in a band so this was at some point or was that did that come later 
Well, I, you know, it was the same time. I mean, I had my, you know, I had my guitar set up. I, pro- I probably programmed a drum machine, drum machine, and you know, I, I, I would have sang something like, you know, you know, my, my, hey, hey, this is the story of Joey Rogan. No, wait, what? No. <laughs> oh no, it was Johnny Rotten. I'm sorry. Um. Anywho. Um. So yeah, I mean anyone can sing like Neil, but I think the thing that I did that was unique was I had the, uh, you know, actually I had my guitar set up and a second telephone set up somehow. I, I jury rigged this so I could actually, you know, play into the into the thing. Anyway, oh so that, that was all fun. But enough about Neil Young. Um. So anywho, um, you know, so the other news to this was in response to between Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and others, and I think importantly Brene Brown. Uh, mm-hmm. and other because that's a higher margin product um and others they 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 made a response right they daniel act the ceo uh did put out a uh blog post where he sort of addressed matters by saying that hey they're going to um you know now provide advisories mm-hmm. uh and uh you know but but the fact is that you know it does the advisory basically means that if if i say covid 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 we're talking about covid let's talk about covid let's let's talk about how mayonnaise can cause covid can cause covid i yeah. think maybe maybe mayonnaise is the cure for covid now i just want to remind our viewers I, that this is a uh, are we doing well, an experiment here i don't know yeah okay actually this 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 is let's have we'll have some fun with this all right listeners um what they said what uh what what they said Spotify said in the blog post is that um, there will be a process now. Uh, they're quote, we're working to add a content advisory to any podcast episode that includes a discussion about COVID-19. This advisory will direct listeners to our dedicated COVID-19 hub, a resource that provides easy access to data-driven facts, up-to-date information, etc. Um, this is a combat, an effort to combat misinformation, and they will roll it out to countries around the world in coming days. To be clear, this came out five days ago. Um, okay. So. I think today would be a coming day, you would hope. So let's test this. If anyone is listening to this on Spotify, check to see if you got a COVID advisory, because we're now about to have a conversation about COVID-19. COVID-19 is caused by mayonnaise, according to my cat. My cat (laughs) told me in a uh, dream that mayonnaise causes COVID-19. Kate, what do you have to say to that? Oh, I've heard mayonnaise is the cure to COVID. Oh, that's misinformation. Completely. Yeah. Misinformation. Yeah. All right. Okay. Our segment on COVID-19, 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 COVID-19. Let's make sure if there is an AI bot that's listening to the, what, 3 million podcasts? Good yeah. luck with that. I mean, really, seriously, I hope they have good luck because I assume there's no individual listening other than you, dear listeners, but there's no one from Spotify listening to monitor our mayonnaise-driven COVID-19 thing. Um, I think we should end this, though, by uh, saying do go to, you know, your government's medical sites about this. Do get vaccinated. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I can't let it go on saying that. It should It should be. It should be. But but it, it, it does raise an interesting question about because, you know, it, this was concerning and is concerning. Like, OK, it was very helpful that, that Spotify provided its standards. But it's equally problematic in the sense that, well, yeah, they 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 have the standard and they've still actively made it, you know, possible for Joe Rogan's content is problematic and it's up. And 
you know, without advocating uh, that uh, a, any one marketer should or shouldn't do anything, um, what I thought would be really interesting for a new segment that we thought we'd introduce here was to understand, well, okay, for a marketer who does want to abandon or boycott or otherwise a platform, what exactly goes into that? And right. I don't know, Katie, you had much experience with this in the past? I mean, I know it comes up more and more with um, just the global news cycle and, you know, people are advertising on a certain channel or um, against a certain piece of content. They have maybe spokespeople, uh, you know, for their brand and someone says something or, you know, you uncover past messages and then there's always this, you know, hurry up, what do we do? You know, where is it important that we pull advertising or move advertising or do we not in this case? Um, you know, who are the most vocal people calling for change? So I know it's um, coming up more and more in, in advertisers' conversations around how they plan media. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, one thing we've written about this in the past, but basically we are going into a world where increasingly for a brand, if you're not perceived as being for something, you will be perceived as being against it and vice versa. And so, you, you know, certainly brands can't actively choose to uh, take stands on everything, but there are going to be situations where clearly they will want to. So anyways, we brought in uh, our colleague, Jen Sock, uh, to tell us more about how this works. Yeah, in our segment called how stuff works. Jen Sock from Group M, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? Very good. Hey, Jen, can you first of all tell our audience what exactly you do? Oh, absolutely. So I am the executive director at Group M of what we call Channel Solutions, and that is comprised of various groups, including Advanced TV, Audio, DRTV local video, as well as our publishing group. Great. Well, it's a good broad range uh, of experience to talk to this specific issue. So first of all, what exactly does brand suitability and brand safety mean in the world of audio? <laughs> brand suitability and brand safety is an interesting subject in the world of audio. It is hard to really get your hands on what's going on in a brand safety perspective. So what we do more in the audio world is look at the content itself, who's doing the speaking, who the talent is on the show, um, who's behind the podcast itself or the audio push itself. And then we look at it really for the fit of content. We don't have the brand safety measures in audio that we have um, in the digital landscape. We're working towards it. We're trying to figure out how we get further down that path. Um, but we don't yet have any of the backings that we do in the digital side, like the double verifies or IAS or Moat or anyone like that. But we're certainly starting to get a lot of interest working with the IAB and other companies that are interested both on the publishing side as well as the advertising side of getting more focus on um, the actual brand safety side. Today, we really look at it more as um, advisories, right, as opposed mm -hmm. to anything more than we can get to about brand safety. Right. So then is it safe to say, like, you know, a certain host or a certain um, uh, programmer is consistently problematic and it's just red flag, red flag? 
Yeah, it could be somebody that we've seen a lot on television that might be a red flag. It could be um, some things that have come out in the marketplace that we know something about. Um, and so we throw those onto a list to just say, hey, you know, take, take a look at it. You know, it could be someone that is very, um, very left or very right when it comes to politics. Could be someone that uh, might be very edgy. Comedy is a very big podcast area. It's actually the largest podcast area out there. We think it's crime and we think it's the crime junkies kind of thing, but it's really comedy. Um, and so if there's really explicit subject matter or perhaps it's really too edgy um, with controversial hosts, then we'll flag that as well for folks to just really think about before they put their ads on there. Mm. And so when it comes to something where maybe it's a problematic, socially speaking, uh, someone is saying something that's inflammatory or divisive in society, that sort of thing, or frankly leads to consumers threatening boycotts of brands, let's say, um, what, what circumstances would actually cause a marketer who's who's gone through this and thought the content was innocuous, what would tend to cause a marketer to choose to walk away from a property? Yeah, I mean, misinformation is a big one, right? And we've seen that this past week. And anybody that's out there really putting false news that's out in the marketplace is a big no for us. Um, also, that has to do with people that, you know, maybe their social media posts are really inflammatory or also pushing very false information out there. Um, we'll flag their shows or their podcasts just because the social media itself might really be pushing people over the edge a bit. But yeah, I mean, if you've got posts that bring on guests that are controversial, um, talk about content that's in the news a lot, um, those are all things that are flagging for us that we want to make sure that we're really vetting and paying attention to. Would it cause the marketer to shift their spending with the same production company or media owner, or would it cause the marketer to say, hey, let's just pull our money from this platform and media and put it somewhere we know and can track better? Is a little better. Uh, you know, for the most part, it is really looking at the individual hosts and programs and not pulling from the overall um uh, the overall presenter who's bringing them in. Most of these guys have their own shows. There's you know, a lot of ownership out there of their own programming. Sometimes the people are coming in and posting them or you know, they're, maybe they're just the ones selling the advertising. So we really do like to distinguish. You know, It's more about, did you look at it before you put it on your program? Are you aware of what's here? Is there any harmful content on it? You should, as, as the responsibility in the audio space, you should be aware of something before you put it live on your platform. It really is thought of as content and then platforms, and those could be two separate things. Um, some content can live on multiple platforms. So be responsible enough as a platform to be the forum and act responsibly for consumers to make sure that you're being and, and have enough online safety in place. It sounds like that'll ultimately help to bring more advertisers into the medium when that uh, actually happens. I, I, you know, it's it's similar to what we saw in digital years ago, right? It's what we saw in other areas. When we started to get some folks together and say brand safety is a thing, right? We really need to be more careful with it. Let's really look at YouTube before we put our commercials on there. Let's really pay attention to what's there and segment out the pieces that you want. We haven't pulled off YouTube, but we certainly are very careful where we put things on YouTube. I think we can do the same thing in audio. We don't need to get rid of all of the platforms, but we do need to be very specific on the programming that we pick inside those platforms. Great. Well, thanks very much for that, Jen. Thank you.
Great. Wow. Brian, thanks for uh, sitting down with Jen. That was um, that was great to just hear her perspective on what brands are, are considering or, or what agencies are considering when they're going through this process. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we, this isn't uh, the last time it'll come up. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, in the case of, of Spotify, um, you know, they actually have more to worry about consumers. Uh, really, rather than advertisers, because at the end of the day, it is a you know majority uh, subscription-based product and and platform. Um, you know, it, it it's not it doesn't seem like there's a widespread thing like what we saw say with YouTube many years ago or what we saw with you know Facebook in the summer of 2020. Um, but uh, but I think it is safe to say that um, you know there are every platform has to be mindful of and make those uh, trade-offs um, if they want to have controversial content. What? Just one last thing on this, we'll move on to what's happening next week. Um, there are varying I guess, degrees of concern based on whether you're you know, strictly hosting content that users upload versus I think in the case of Joe Rogan, that was a, a dedicated decision on Spotify's part to go out and buy the exclusivity of that content. And so I think that's why there's a bit more um, conversation around this example, but certainly applies to all platforms. Absolutely. So, uh, what are you looking forward to, uh, for the week ahead? Uh, well, we have, I have to say, I haven't watched uh, an NFL game in at least the last year, but the Super Bowl is coming up. NFL is non fungible um, Liechtenstein, but what is that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, the National Football League in the U.S. Um, but oh, it's right, more, right. you don't need to watch for the uh, for the game. You can just watch for the ads. I caught up this morning on um, everything that's been posted so far, at least, I think. Um, and I important because of a lot of the trends we've been talking about, especially around this year, next year. Right. So you had both used cars and new cars. Looks like you know they're definitely keeping up on the advertising as supply chains and, and chips get sorted out. Um, also, interestingly, some of these digital endemics that we've talked about are shelling yeah. out for Super Bowl spots. Um, so there was Booking.com with Idris Elba. Very nice. Well, married to some from Vancouver. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Random piece you, of You do know that Can Canadians always look to find ways to tie any given random thing to Canada. You know that, right? Can you get Ryan Reynolds on the pod? Because that would be awesome. He actually went to uh, the same elementary schools I did, and he was a year behind me in the same high school. Well, there you go. I expect an invitation um, in the mail. Well, wait, but he's got a competitor advertising agency. I, uh, I don't think we, I don't know if we want that. I, All right, I don't... Um, what else? Uber don't eat. They um, have several stars in their spots that we'll be seeing. Um also, DraftKings, we've talked about, I mean, digital endemics as well as we've talked about sports betting on this pod before. Um, and so there's definitely a lot of those folks that are going to be showing up, probably some for the first time. Um, my favorite effort was actually Frito-Lay with uh, Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen. So, um, yeah, we'll look for that. I, I, I agree. I, you know, it, it, Seth Rogen, also from Vancouver. Point great. <laughs> same, same area. Come on. It's like... It's uh, it's a small world. Um, so no, I yeah, the, there's definitely a lot that's worth watching uh, with the Super Bowl and and the commercials. Even if you're in a country where you can't access uh, the American broadcast, that uh, is one of the advantages of the likes of YouTube as a global platform. You know, uh, Brian, last one, Hellman's Mayo. 
Ah! <laughs> Definitely not from Vancouver. <laughs> All right, what else is happening next week? I think we're still in the middle of some earnings, right? Oh yeah, I mean, it's, Disney's uh, uh, probably going to be the most notable one for uh, for the world. Again, American company, but the global impact of what they're doing uh, can't be understated in terms of how streaming is evolving, um, especially in places where they might make it harder for people to unsubscribe. Because <laughs> you know, I mean, it's they they have a strategy of they don't just give you all the content at once. You actually have to stick it out for the six weeks of a series, for example. Um, right. That's probably a better strategy than. Uh, uh, letting people binge and leave. Um, so, yeah, but you, you've got some fun interviews coming up, hopefully. Yeah. So as we're looking at, um, you know, advertisers and like we said, the, a lot of these sources of growth for the global advertising business, we've already talked about digital endemics. Um, but another large source of growth we're really seeing are small businesses. Um, and so I have several conversations lined up uh, this week and next week with small business owners to talk about um, their marketing, how they approach it, um, what they look at in terms of like, measuring success. So I'm excited for those. Oh, me too. I mean, I, I've long thought that uh, some of the best read throughs for certainly for Facebook and Google as well are, are what SMBs are doing because they're such a huge share of the revenue. And if you want to understand the trends going on those two companies, you need to understand how small businesses are evolving on the platform. Yeah, just as a reminder for folks, what's your est your current estimate on what percentage of Facebook revenue is actually made up by large advertisers and agencies? Yeah, it's hard to say. You know, they've never given good disclosures. My my guess is it, just crude, crude guess for Facebook. It's probably, you know, 15 to 20 percent of revenues coming from not the top 100 advertisers. That's the way Facebook's framed it. The way to look at it is advertisers who are historically TV centric, let's say that's probably 15 or 20 percent of the revenue. Maybe Google, it's probably a slightly higher share because of YouTube. Right. Small businesses, meaning like a business whose revenue base is like less than, say, you know, $10 million, um, probably a quarter of the business at, at Facebook, maybe more. My suspicion is that it's probably 40% at Google. We don't really know. The data is very, very limited on these things, but they are critical to understanding uh, the actual growth trends for each company. All right. On that, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up this week and say thanks again for tuning in. Definitely subscribe um, if you haven't already so you can be notified when we drop the latest. Please do. We'll see you next week on This Week Next Week. This Week Next Week is hosted by me, Kate Scott Dawkins, and Brian Weezer. Our producer is Jared Bayman. Our showrunner is Sam Weston. The views and opinions expressed here are our own and are not intended to represent those of Group M or its clients. If you have questions, comments, or requests for future segments, let us know at business.intelligence at groupm.com.